right, in the last short lecture, we explained the different, the ways in which statistics could be used in order to analyze data. And, and we talked about it more in the abstract. So now we're gonna get a little bit more concrete and get into the analysis of different data. So what I would like to start with is just a couple examples that we'll use as we describe these different types of approaches to analyzing data. And the examples we're gonna use is for correlation, we're gonna see if there's an association between supervisor support and customer service, meaning as the supportiveness of a supervisor increases, does the level and quality of customer service increase? Or is it in the reverse? For regression, we're gonna ask, does age predict level of prejudice? Meaning as we age, do we become less discriminated or more discriminative? And is that predictive of one's age? And then when we're talking in the experimental design, remember we're talking about differences, we're gonna look at and we're gonna give the example, does social economic status determine helping behavior? Meaning uh, dependent upon your social economic level, meaning um, uh, you know middle class, upper class, lower class, I don't like those terms. Um, does that predict uh, helping behaviors? So. Let's take a look at these, but first let's talk about some important terms that goes across all of these different types of analyses. The first one is what we call a p-value, and that's the probability that the data we, we uh, received or the observations we have are a result of error, okay? And what I mean by that is, let's take the example of uh, does, um, <clears throat> let, let's take one of these examples while, when we're talking about this. Let's say uh, our statistically, we find that there's a mean difference between uh, individuals who are in the working class and individuals who are in uh, the, um, let's go uh, middle to upper income in helping behaviors. And let's say we find that people in the lower working class engage in helping behaviors on average more often than do people in the upper middle class, okay? So where do we go from there? Let's say the mean helping behavior for um, uh, uh, the working class, and we'll represent that by a W. Let's say the mean score is five, all right? So uh, we have some measure of helping behavior and we find that the working class tend to uh, help at a average of five. And, I know this is still a little abstract, but we'll get there. But let's say the upper uh, middle class, which we'll represent with U, um, on average has a, a score of helping of three, okay? As we can see by the mean, uh, working class mean of five, uh, upper class 
meaning uh, mean of three, seeing, showing that there's a mean difference between the two groups. Well, what we want to know is, is our, in our sample, is this really statistically different or was there some type of error in our data that explains these means difference? Okay, now if we go back to our p-value, and this is what the p-value helps us determine, is it gives us the probability that the results we received were due to error. And within the scientific field, and in fact, with any data analysis field, we always accept that there may be a probability that there's some error, and sometimes we accept that. In fact, we accept it at what's called a p less than 0.05. What this means is that we accept that results as significant, and when you hear the word statistically significant, that's what this is referring to, means that the probability that the results that we um, uh, uh, obtained, um, <laughs> there's less than a 5% probability that the results we obtained from our data were due to error. So we say that this is statistically significant because it hints towards the idea that indeed working class people do help more often than um, uh, upper uh, middle class people, okay? Now, I'm not going to give away the, the results yet, uh, but that's kind of what p-value means. Uh, when we talk about correlation and regression with p-value, what we're saying is the probability that these two things are or are not associated is less than 5%, okay? Now, what we do in, in this is if it's over that 5 or over that 0.05, we state that we find that the, the, the results we achieved are not statistically significant and it's due to error. And we'll get to this when we get to the hypothesis testing, this p-value actually becomes more important. Now, I, I, I just wanna <laughs> make this clear. In the past, p-values have been misinterpreted because using the word the results were statistically significant assumes that that sample you took, that that probability sticks to a larger population. But I wanna be very clear, and this is why sampling is very important. This only means that if I were to resample a sample exactly like my original sample, that that probability sticks. It really doesn't state that uh, that, that probability will stay the same in a different sample. And that's really important to state. And this is why sampling and understanding what, what your sample actually represents is important because to make any inferences on this, we have to understand what the sample was because then and only then can we infer that it means something about our population. If our sample does not represent our population, we can't infer that we would get the same results 
in a different sample. So that's an important thing to say because that's what inferential statistics is about. We want to know if our results uh, generalize to a population and hence we'll talk about sampling in a little while. So beyond p-value, what else do we need? What other evidence do we need to infer that this is a kind of a real thing in the population? So the p-value determines whether or not if we resample a population, we would get the similar result or whether it would be different because this sample was due to error. Effect size determines how large of a difference or how much two variables are related. So when we're doing difference testing, so this would be, if we go back here, this would be our does social economic status determine helping behavior? We use what's called a Cohen's D, all right? And what Cohen's D tells us is how large of a difference two groups are. So we see that on that one, they're the average three to five, but there might be a whole bunch of variation in, in those two samples, right? And so we want to use what's called an effect size to really determine whether or not that those differences are more than just mean differences, more than just average differences. And uh, the, the, the Cohen's D, uh, you know, a, 0.2 is considered a small effect size, and then it goes up to a 0.8. It's a zero to one scale, usually denotes a large effect size, okay? So that is for our experimental type of situation where we're trying to look at differences between two groups. When we're looking at instead correlation and regression, where we're looking to see the relationship between two variables, we use what's called the R-squared, okay? The R-squared is simply the correlation you get, and we'll go over correlation in a minute, and you square it. And what that gives you is uh, you can convert it into a percentage, and that gives you the percentage of the variance in one variable that explains the variance in another variable. Okay, so we'll go back to this example. And again, I'm not giving you any factual results, but let's say we say, does age predict levels of prejudice? And indeed we find that as the, the older the individual is, it predicts, their level of prejudice at higher levels of prejudice. So that's kind of the prediction, right? But let's say our effect size is 5%, okay? All right, so what does that mean? That What does that R squared mean? That means that 5% in the variance of prejudice, the amount a person is prejudiced, can be explained by age. What else does that mean? 95% of prejudice, level of prejudice, is explained by something else, all right? So that's an important thing to say because you can't really, that you, it's, 
important. 5% is important. You know, that's one in 20, right, of, of pre- levels of prejudice. But we're not getting the whole story by just saying age predicts prejudice. There's other uh, variables that play into the level of prejudice a person displays, okay? So, and we could do the same thing with with supervisor support. Let's say we find that as a level of supervisor support increases, the uh, higher the quality of the customer servant service of the individual who's under that supervisor. But again, let's say this explains, uh, let's do a little bit higher, 25%. So, we're giving uh, supervisors a little bit more credit in this example. What we can say is that customer service, the, the variability and the level of customer services individual provides can be explained by a supervisor support. That's pretty more significant, right? Because if you take that 25% out, you're gonna decrease the level of customer service by 25%, okay? so. That's how the R squared works. Now, so that's effects. The other thing that we need to make sure when we're doing data and we'll get to the normal distribution here in just a minute is that our data is normally distributed. And this is, let me give you an example of what normal distribution looks like. We'll just go over here, give a real quick sample. Normal distribution falls under what we call the bell curve, where the mean is the center of the bell and there's an equal distribution on both sides. This is what they call the normal distribution. And we'll get to why that's important in a minute, but that's one of the assumptions that all of these tests have to make is that your data has become normally distributed. If it's not normally distributed, you have to use a different method, more of a non-parametric method to determine whether or not there's an association or a difference between two variables. So keep that in mind. Uh, We'll come to the normal distribution uh, here in just a few minutes. So those are important terms, important concepts to keep in mind. Uh, we, we always report p-value, effect size, and whether or not our data meets the uh, normal distribution of data. All right, okay. So let's go on to hypothesis testing. Remember, I use that term hypothesis. When we're comparing groups, uh, comparing variables, we have two types of hypothesis. One is the null hypothesis, which is denoted by H sub O. And this this, uh, hypothesis for descriptive uh, research says that there's no association between these two variables, meaning either there's no correlation or one variable doesn't predict the other one. So in in our example cases, it would say that there's no association, there's no correlation between supervisor support and employ- and, and uh, customer service. In the regression analysis, it would state that, um, uh, what is our regression example? In our regression example, uh, it would state that age does not, we found that age does not predict prejudice. Okay, when we look at our experimental design, what the null hypothesis states is that economic status 
there's no difference between economic status and helping behavior, okay? Meaning that uh, economic status has, there's no difference in the amount of helping behaviors between those different levels of economic status. All right, so let's go back here. The alternative hypothesis on the other words in the descriptive section does say that there's those relationships that exist. And these are usually denoted by H sub one, okay? In the experimental, so in the descriptive, it suggests that there is a correlation between uh, in supervisor support and customer service. And in the experimental design, that there is a difference between different levels of economic status and the amount of helping behavior. All right, why is this important? For science, it reverses our train of thought. Because believe it or not, even though we hope that we find some data in support of, when we design our research, we design it as if we're not wanting to find anything. Meaning the point of research is to prove or to find evidence for, I shouldn't say, use the word prove, we're finding evidence for the null hypothesis. So in our res results, we're either going to accept the null hypothesis, meaning that there's no differences or there's no association, or reject the null hypothesis, meaning that we found evidence for the relationship. Normally in hypothesis test testing, we don't even talk about the alternative hypothesis. It's just there for explanation. So, however, because of error, human error, data error, uh, participant error, there's always the possibility that we may be wrong in finding evidence for or against the null hypothesis. And we have these two types, there's two types of error that may possibly happen. We have a type one error, and this is incorrectly rejecting the null hypothesis in favor of the alternative hypothesis, meaning that uh, the results we received um, uh, should have uh, resulted in a no difference or a no association conclusion. A type two error is not rejecting the null hypothesis and accepting the alternative hypothesis. And that should be, that means that the alternative hypothesis is worded incorrectly, meaning that uh, we, we kind of uh, accept the null hypothesis when actually we should have uh, accepted the alternative hypothesis. The wording is off on this. So type two is the opposite of type one. In type one, we incorrectly rejected it. And in type two, we failed to reject it because there was actually a difference or an association. Now, where can error come from? One, it can come from the mean, meaning that there was too much error in the average uh, that then uh, would determine a population mean, or it can come from error in the variation, all right? And this is why when it comes to these, two, the, these concepts that we talked about, that we really look closely at effect size, p-value, 
And in a while, we'll shortly talk about something called a power analysis, which is used to determine the appropriate sample size. All right, because if we don't have a sufficient sample size, then we run the risk of, 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 of uh, doing a type one error. All right. Um, and so, so sampling, let's talk about that because as I, as I mentioned, the whole purpose of this inferential statistic, making assumptions from a sample to a population really is determined by where we get our sample from. If we go back to the probability section of the class, when we watch the videos on probability, statistically and probability wise, the really the number one way of making sure we do not commit a type one or type two error is to make sure our sample is completely random. Meaning that you are able, for example, in the prejudice research, to randomly go just grab people indiscriminately off the road, off the streets, and have them engage in your measurements, all right? Meaning that everything was blind, everything was completely random, and that makes it so your statistical probabilities are more likely, all right? However, most of the time, we are uh, dealing with what's called convenient samples, stratified random samples, or purposeful samples. Convenient samples are when we use participants in a research because they are there. <laughs> uh, the most common in, in the social sciences is uh, college students are usually used in some type of experiment uh, in, in universities. Um, stratified samples, and this, I do need to note, this is why whenever reading research, it is very important to read the participation section and to understand who was actually in that research. Because we're finding as we move and we've used convenient samples so often in, in human research that uh, our generalizations about different uh, social psychological concepts don't translate to, for example, other cultures other ethnicities, other age groups. Why? Because most of the time in, in, in research, we use a convenient sample like college students um, who may not be representative of the entire population. And this has created a lot of problems within the social sciences. In kind of more of, when we're talking more of like the business world, the marketing world, we're more likely to use what's called a stratified sample or a purposeful sample. A stratified random sample is one of random sampling of certain individuals within a population, meaning that we're interested in a very specific population. Maybe we're studying autism, so our random sample is only of those who are uh, diagnosed with, say, autism. When we look at market research, if we have a product that we feel is only appropriate for a given age group, then we stratify that sample to only sample a given age group. Purposeful sampling is when we're sampling a very specific population 
that and, and the best example of a purposeful uh, is when we have someone going through some type of treatment uh, or have uh, uh, or a, are a customer of a uh, certain organization, um, and we want to know specifically their experiences. Clinical trials are a good example of this in the science world where maybe we have a medication for depression. And so we uh, have people in who are in a new medication group versus an old one, but they, they are the, but we're not going to give that depression medication to someone who hasn't been diagnosed with depression, right? So this is purposeful sampling. These always can create probability error. And that's important to state, even though it sounds like you're hitting the right uh, tones. Again, when we're talking about it statistically, the best method is to always have a random sample and a truly random sample. I mentioned the idea of power analysis. Power analysis, again, is uh, a statistical way that allows a researcher from committing a type one error because most commonly, a type one error is committed when you don't sample enough individuals from a population. All right, this is done, uh, power analysis is a function that's at, whenever you see this F, okay, and then you see these brackets, this F is a term for function, meaning reason of. So a function of sample size, effect size, and p-value. Therefore, a sample size equals the function of your power, effect size, and p-level, all right? So, um, you know, I don't want you to worry about the complications of this side and the equation because there's a lot of free calculators on the web that can help you determine the appropriate sample size. So this is very important, though, when, you, when, when you're looking at research and you're kind of like, well, do I agree with this research or not? Or do I think they made a mistake? You can simply look at their sample size, their effect size, and their p-value. You can plug it into a calculator and see if they actually have sampled enough individuals. One of the areas of, uh, of uh, research where this is happening and is having a huge impact is in the area of neuroscience and brain imaging. Most brain imaging uh, studies rely on a sample size of less than 20. And when people have gone through and done power analysis on the research findings, they find that type one errors were completely and totally committed in a lot of this research. And there's a lot of arguments right now in the field of neuroscience that most, if not all, now, granted, there are some high sample neuro studies, so I'm not on the all side of this argument, that a lot of neuroimaging studies should be thrown out and uh, reconsidered. So that's where we're heading. And so now what we have determined, right? So what have we determined so far? All right. One, we've determined what type of tests we're going to do for a different types of questions. The second thing that we have determined is the important values that we need to obtain through any type of test that we're gonna deduct. We need a p-value, we need an effect size. Uh, we need to make sure that our, our, our sample is normally distributed. We've determined then converted 
our null hypothesis and alternative hypothesis. And we've recognized that within any given research, we always have the chance of creating a type one or a type two error. One way of reducing the potential of a type one error is through our sampling technique. The, at most, at the best way to start with making sure you don't commit that error is to make sure you get the correct sampling. And as I mentioned, random sampling is the gold star. The second way we can uh, uh, eliminate or reduce the chance, I shouldn't say we can never completely eliminate error, um, is to do a power analysis and really look at um, uh, uh, whether or not we have a sufficient sample size. All right. All right. So this is where we're going to end this discussion for now. Um, and where we're going to head next is we're going to start looking at population distributions, which is going to lead us into a conversation of what is correlations, uh, strengths of correlations, linear regression. Um, and then we'll get into t-tests and ANOVAs. So that's where we're heading. Um, look forward to having these, the, these more conversations we have. And uh, thank you for watching.